today's scriptural passage is from Joshua 24:19 to 29. Joshua said to the people, "You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you." But the people said to Joshua, "No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, He drew up for them decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be witnesses against you if you are untrue to your God. This is the word of God. Good morning. The song that we just sang, Surrendering All We Have, um, is very much at the heart of this scripture. Uh, each week, our worship team does a, an, a, an unbelievable job in, in selecting uh, music that matches what the scripture is and what the sermon will be for that week. And this week, as I, I listened, I could not help but reflect on some conversation I'd had, I guess I had it last week with someone, um, related to how the lyrics of songs sometimes are difficult for us to sing because the challenge within them is so real. It's sometimes so heavy. It's sometimes so demanding that we recognize to sing that song in honesty would mean I'm going to have to change. Sometimes we want to change, sometimes we don't. But when we sing a song like we heard this morning where it reminds us that our goal is to surrender and give all that we are to the Lord, I often wonder how well we're doing with that. A few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the testimony of Jethro, the the father-in-law of Moses. And it went through, as we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 18 and, and his testimony, we saw how Jethro and Moses', uh, actually his wife, were in a, a foreign land in Midian. And Jethro made a commitment, made a decision. Uh, on his own, to pack up his daughter and take her to her husband. And to step forward and, and to take that trip was a significant decision. And she got with Moses and, and he, uh, Jethro and, and uh, his wife, uh, uh, Jethro and his daughter, bringing Moses' wife over and didn't really know what the response was going to be 
from Moses. Uh, he, he took her, and, but yet, as Jethro arrived, um, he spoke words of truth to Moses, and Moses was receptive. And we know that the story was very clear that, indeed, Jethro brought in wisdom that Moses was ill-prepared to receive at first, not expecting anything like that from him, and yet almost immediately saying, this man has come for a purpose. And Moses opened his heart and accepted the direction of what Jethro had to say to him. Moses was teachable. He was open to learning. He was open to recognizing his own limitations. And Jethro brought in a decision-making approach dealing with the delegation of responsibilities in saying that this is a method will save you and help your people and you'll reach out to many more people if you'll just be willing to release some of the authority and decision responsibilities to others. We see a very solid commitment in decision making by Jethro. We see a very solid uh, decision by Moses. Both men had to be prepared to make adjustments in their lives. Jethro and Moses had a job to do in making decisions and they did what they were required to do. Some of you may know that my work prior to coming here um, was working with a, a, an international organization overseas doing mission work. And my role was uh, what was called regional strategy associate. And when I got into that job back many moons ago, um, I... Um, uh, was not exactly clear what all I was going to be stepping into, but I knew that I, my, part of my responsibility was going to be to develop training programs and training plans to try to assist the churches throughout Asia. And I developed a team of workers that worked with me and had some wonderful experiences there. But in the area of supervision, I had not ever prepared myself for the massive number of people that I would ultimately end up supervising because we were growing. When we first began, our region had around 400 people, and uh, within a period of about 12 years, we had around 1,000. And so the teams continued to grow. But one of the things that was a challenge in the early days, I remember I had gotten into the position, uh, was trying to work with individuals that I had never met. So I went around and I made visits and I went to different places. But in the first half a year or so, I still had only met about, at that point again, with around 400 people total, I had really only met maybe a third of the people. And uh, I still remember, after I had been in the position only two and a half months, that's when I realized that my previous education, and I don't know how, many, how you are in yours, but many of us in this room have got advanced degrees, have gone to school a lot, and we've worked with people, and we've been in certain working positions. But one thing I never learned was how you fire people. I don't know why. They never taught us that. Every administration course I took, still, I can't even remember one time they talked about that. And yet, after two and a half months in this job, suddenly, here I was in that position because I had a young lady that was determined to define uh, being transparent as something that would mean you would say everything 
that anyone would want to hear. All they'd have to do is ask you a question and your mouth would start running. And she was determined that, indeed, if she was ever asked any difficult questions, she would uh, go ahead and give exactly what that information was. Well, in some of the countries in East Asia, if you do that, you are immediately out of that country. You know, one of the funny things we often talk about, especially connected with China, is you go to China as a teacher, you never go there as a missionary. You can go as a teacher because it opens the door. You can go as... A nurse, you can go as a doctor, you can, there are many positions you can go in, but you don't say, hi there, I'm your local missionary. If you do that, you don't get in. And um, I can remember, in her case, it was extremely challenging, because this was two and a half months into a position, and I was dealing with somebody via email. And when I, I listened to what she had to say, and I read what she had to say, and finally I recognized her definition of transparency was going to cause us some major problems because she told me that if the government people ever asked her anything, she would tell exactly where every person she knew was working, what they were doing, and who they really were. And I listened to that and I thought, wow. You know, so it's sort of like someone asks you if you like Coca-Cola and then you go into a long tirade talking about every kind of food you can think of. Her commitment was tell them everything you can think of. And so I had to contact her and explain that she was either going to have to make an adjustment to her thinking or she was going to have to find another way to be living and working in China. She had been teaching at a school there for several years. And the final result was that I ended up being in a meeting in the United States where I was using an international phone card, and via phone I had to call her and release her from her work with us. As I say, I had never been taught, how do you fire someone? It was not an easy decision. My point is to say, decisions are not always easy. They're not always simple. They're not always convenient. They're not always in your will. They're not in your desire. But if you look today... In Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 to 28, you'll see a little bit of Joshua's methodology in decision making. In chapter 24, verses 1 to 13, uh, if you take time to read that, it goes through and reviews Joshua's approach. Verse 1 says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for the heads and for the judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all of the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir and possessed it. And Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And yet... Uh, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. 
And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And it goes on through verse 13. But it is a review of the history of the people of Israel to Israelites. It was their way of dealing with with remembrance. And Joshua's way of dealing with these people, as he goes through verse 13, is to just go point one, point two, point three, point four. Look where God has been in our lives. Look where God has been in our lives. Look where God has been in our lives. I think today as I look at us, and I try to look for some practical application on this one, I cannot help but wonder how we at BCBC look for where God has been in our lives. Some of us I have found over these couple of years have different views of who we are. Some are looking for a place that's comfortable and easy to to function and uh, not have any kind of challenges or struggles. Some of us realize we've been through some difficulties and we're just trying to understand why we've gone through so many difficulties. You see, if you'll note, as we look at what Joshua shared, Joshua never said, we had it great here, we had it great here, everything was great, everything was smooth, we never had any challenges. He did not say that. Joshua points out the big challenges that the people of Israel went through. And then he said, they saw the light at the other end because they were patient enough to wait on God and follow Him through it all. And there was something better awaiting them. Joshua 24, 1-13 challenges me to look at our own history. So I did that. This week I went back and I looked at a book because I recognized Joshua's approach was to look backward in order to look forward. As I looked at a book from uh, 1994, it was one of our annuals for our church, it reminded me of a few things. It said, God led a core group of 19 people, September 22, 1968, with Reverend Jonathan Jones as a volunteer pastor to, to meet in a home for worship. Nine months later, God blessed this body of people to be called the first, or to become the first Chinese Baptist church in the city. In God's grace in the year 1971 became important to the church when the King's Crest Baptist Church was purchased by BCBC. In 1975, that building was paid off, but by that time there was a bilingual worship service that was putting on pressure because there were too many people in the building. January 1979, BCBC moved to Culloden, this building in what was a, an MB church at the time at a cost of $350,000. Since that time, according to Reverend Jung in that 1994 book, it goes on to say the following. God has granted... Now, I want you to remember and think about us today. This is what was said in 1994. God has granted saving of souls to us daily. Besides the new believers joining the body through three baptisms yearly, many believers immigrating from Hong Kong have transferred their memberships. He continues, and he says, due to the increased attendance in our meeting, space has become very inadequate, particularly for Sunday school and for fellowship meetings. Worship services have been 
managed by adding chairs in the aisles. In view of this challenge, we bought four houses next to and behind the church uh, building as part of a solution for the space storage problem. Reverend John completed his words as follows. Our church has received from God the grace upon grace in the last 25 years. And our members have witnessed this grace and experienced His presence and abundance. May God give us more of His compassion so that we can be a lamp that shines brightly in the city of Vancouver, a church where everyone shares the gospel. May God be the glory. Surely that's the heart that we have today as well. May we be a light for this city. Between 1994 and going on up to 2016, we also saw other blessings come to this church. There was a church planted in Surrey and Coquitlam and Richmond. Some of the mission churches that were along the way were started by us, and then we allowed and watched God bless and see them develop into full churches. Part of our history obviously does include some struggles. Not everything was smooth. Not everything fell together well. And yet, I think we can learn from the spirit that we see in 1994 from a pastor who is saying to us, we were created with purpose. Can't we expect God to do some miracles with us? As I look back at Joshua, Joshua says, review your history. You bunch of Israelites, look back at where God has done great things. Brothers and sisters, I fully believe the last few years will be years that will help us in the long run. They've challenged us. They've been difficult. But how can we still see God at the end of the tunnel? He is the light at the end of the tunnel. Verse 20, chapter 24, verses 14 to 18. Joshua at this point says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served and that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in those lands you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He is, He it is, that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we met, we went. And among all the people through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 to 18, calls for decision. I think Joshua was trying to say, look at our history and we see God. 
Look at our history. We see difficulties. Look at our history. We had problems. But we see that every time we were dependent on God, God was there to protect us. How he protected us was not to make necessarily a smooth, simple, comfortable, easy road. But he grew them up. He matured them. And yet, even in that process, here in verses 14 to 18, he's saying, however, having said all I've said, reviewing history, we need to look today at who we are. And we need to ask ourselves the question, okay, bottom line, you know so much in your head, make a decision. Decisions, I've already said, are not always easy to make. We need to make decisions because we need to look to the future and reboot for purpose. We need to evaluate what will make our future. No more idols was what Joshua was saying to me. What are our idols today? Do we have things that distract us? That's where it's calling it. It's saying, don't look for your own comforts. Don't look for something. We, and we often talk about the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. This is where he's saying, don't look for the grass to be greener on the other side of the fence. You can stay right here, but you need to be serving. And you need to trust that God is going to be faithful to you. If you're faithful to God, God will not leave you. And Joshua is challenging him at that point saying, put up or shut up. Don't just talk. Make the decision. I remember, again, talking about decisions. I was pastoring a church. We had a um, very interesting situation, uh, ready for a wedding to come about, and had this, um, this friend, uh, Brian and Leela. And Leela had been living in another city nearby, and Brian was in our church. And the, Leela also was a member of our church, but she was in university studying. And she, uh, they, they, were, they had planned for their wedding and every, everybody in our church was excited about it because everybody knew them well. And um, just a matter of about a month away from the wedding, the chairman of the Deacons and I were talking. And I guess I ran one of those risks of being transparent, just like what we were talking about with the lady in China. But I went ahead and was sharing with him about some of the things. I said, one of the unique things about this couple, of course, is... You know, technically, they're already married. They married in Taiwan before they came to the United States. Because I was pastoring the United States. He said, and it was on paper, and they had never lived together. They had never been together in any way. But they had to do that in order for, because he had a visa that was such that they needed to be, be a couple. So they came over, but they had already made a commitment that they were going to never marry until they married in a church and married with brothers and sisters in Christ, that that would be their first time to ever really be together as a couple. And I said, I was talking with him, and I said, what a beautiful picture of people who are committed all the way to that point. Well, what I immediately heard from this chairman of deacons was a look of uh, what I heard. Was, was, what I was looking at was one thing, what I was hearing was another. But it was still the same thing. And he was saying, oh my goodness. Well, then they can't get married in the church. And I looked at him and I said, pardon me? He said, well, if they're already married, you can't be married again. We would never do that. And I said, we're, we're not, we don't have to fill out any forms. This is not a signing and it becoming official, official that day. 
But in their hearts, they want to be married before God. And they want to do it in front of other Christians and in the church to celebrate that commitment. And he said, yes, I understand that, but if they're already married, they're already married. And for her to wear a white dress and to come down, and I said, they've never even been together. This is a couple that are very committed to purity. They're committed to each other and doing this right. And the reason that they had to use the way that they did to get make this happen in the timing of it all was not at their planning, but they've done everything possible. Their parents agreed. Everybody, in fact, even in Taiwan, the government knew what they were doing and just said, don't talk to us about it. We'll just kind of let it go. But I had a deacon. That was a challenge for me. Decisions are not always simple. Not always easy. Joshua had to make difficult decisions and he said, you know, this is not a decision I can make for you. Each one of you. Also at BCBC are responsible for your own decisions. I can wish that we were all committed to fighting through, moving forward, and hanging in there to serving the Lord with all our hearts. That we would try to seek out creativity for doing outreach and ministry. And that you'd be knocking on Pastor Gilbert's door and my door saying, how can we work with you to start new programs that will help us to reach out in the name of Jesus? But I can't force you to do that. All I can say is we welcome the opportunities. We get so excited when we see our church try to be the kind of salt and light it should be in our world. Joshua was saying, the decisions are on you. I'm telling you the facts. And the fact is, I'm not seeing what you're saying. With my friends... The answer is yes, they did go ahead and get married, and eventually I was able to work it through with the deacon. But the other people in the church really are the ones that held the greatest impact because all of them were expecting for the, or waiting on the wedding. Verses 19 to 21, as we see this, we can see that it goes on in verses 19 and 21. It says, And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Now, these scriptures we just read. And it goes one more time in verses 19 to 21 to ask the same question. But it's basically Joshua saying, I've given you the decision you need to make, but I'm not sure you really understand how heavy the decision is. I'm not sure you're really willing to make the decision you need to. to and so he says in verse 21, And the people said, No, you're wrong. But we will serve the Lord. So in 19, he challenged them. In verse 21, they responded with the right words. And they said, we will serve the Lord. He is our only Lord. So they were, the wording was correct. But he still was trying to challenge them to be sure they realized what they were doing. And finally, in verses 22 to 28, he goes on. And in verses 22 to 28, he just simply says, you know... Put away your strange gods. Put away all that you are. I believe what you're saying. I believe that you're saying you want to make a covenant. And I am willing on your behalf to help you to develop a covenant, a commitment to God. Joshua verses 22 to 28, on behalf of the people, the decision was made. And I think that this is the same place we are today. 
I had a, a, a guy in a church in Hong Kong that came to me and was wanted to be baptized. We talked through the situation. And I said, man, this is wonderful. I'm so excited. Our people in our church began to get excited. What happened? We found out that he was going to immigrate three months later to Canada. What did I have happen then? A couple of people in our church, of course, in their great blessing, stepped in and said, well, if he's going to immigrate anyway, why did he wait till he gets to Canada and join a church over there so he didn't have to move his membership? That's so much trouble. So we had, as a church, to come back and pull together and have a long meeting explaining that his goal was, number one, to be baptized with those people who were his family. And he wanted to be a witness to his own mother and father who were not yet Christian. My point here is to say, what Joshua is asking of the people of Israel is, make difficult decisions if needed. But make them of quality. Don't be afraid to make decisions. You know, I'm just amazed at the times that I get into situations where people will say, I want to talk about it a little bit more. We need to talk about it a little bit more. If we had continued to talk in this guy's case, he would certainly have never been baptized in Hong Kong. As it was, he was baptized in Hong Kong and his parents did attend the baptism. There was a witness that was involved. Sometimes we have to make difficult calls. And Joshua was saying to them, this is a big one. This is not a minor one. I'm about to have to develop a covenant between our Lord and you that says you're making serious commitments. You're saying you're going to let him be the Lord of your life. In our churches, we love to do the Sunday morning worship experience, but do we really allow Christ to be the Lord that develops our decision-making in all that we do? Joshua said, this is what we must do. We all face choices every day. And I know I've been reading some books that have been talking about this generation being quite different from my generation. When I was growing up to go to church and make a commitment to my church, to my Lord, to my time, it was uh, really not that difficult. I knew that that was okay. To even make a, a commitment to an institution, if you want to call it that, a particular local church. Man, I made the commitment. But the books I've been reading have been saying that these, this generation, the emphasis is on relationships. So if you've got good friends at such and such other place, then you run off to the other place. If you've got friends over here, then you run off to the other place. I'm not saying that's bad, because I did some of that myself. Relationships are always important. But what I would say is, Sometimes we have to develop our relationships, make our relationships stronger. Instead of looking for new relationships elsewhere, focus in actually putting in the effort and the work required to build here. We've got a group of people here that are a great core group to develop more and more people. But as I read Pastor Jim's comments, I heard evangelism. I heard outreach. I heard fellowship. I heard ministry. I heard effort in what he had to say. Church growth doesn't happen by accident. It happens very much with a commitment by people to say, I am willing to do what it takes to see progress. As I looked at Joshua, 
And I look at his testimony. Joshua was saying to those people, you've talked good. You've, you've got great words. You're, you're, you've spoken, spoken your words well. Uh, but I want you to know, if I'm going to put the effort into making this into a covenant, I want to hear one more time the level of your commitment. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for us is that we won't be afraid to make decisions and that we'll make decisions for the kingdom and for those values of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today asking your blessings on our lives. We ask that you would work in our hearts. Help us to understand that you've given us an opportunity and that we've, we do have the opportunity to look back in, in the history of this church and learn something. We can see men and women who came here with a, a desire to serve you. Men and women who ultimately had to become flexible in learning new languages, in allowing worship in different languages, in allowing things to be different than what they even understood or felt comfortable with. But for your kingdom, the people became flexible. Father, as we look at Joshua, and he challenged those people, he asked them to be flexible. Father, we would ask that we would be flexible, but we would be hungry for watching your kingdom grow. Father, help us to be a light in our society. Help us to challenge ourselves to find a place of service even as we gather together. In Jesus' name.